I thank you that you've chosen us as your bride. Lord, I thank you that the Lion of Judah is awake and alive and coming for his lioness who lives in the light and hunts in the dark. Father, I just thank you for the clean out that you're doing with your church. Father, I thank you that you've called us into a life of, of wholeness and purity as we just love you, as we live for you, as we consecrate our lives to you, Jesus. I just thank you, Father, that it's you who does the washing. And I just thank you and welcome uh, your peace this morning, Father. Just come against any fear in the name of Jesus, any judgment or condemnation. I just silence those voices in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I bind any strongholds of fear in Jesus' name. I thank you that it's a morning of gathering around your feet. I thank you that you coach your kids. I thank you that you're coaching us in our lives, Father, this morning, that you are close and coaching us with kindness. But I thank you, Father, for your word, that it's truth, that it stands across all generations, that it goes from generation to generation. And I thank you, Lord, that we're a church who are committed to upholding those standards. I just pray that you would just bless us this morning and just minister to us, Father. Thank you for eyes to see and ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good to see you again. My name is Amy, if I haven't been able to um, have a chat with any of you so far. We've started um, a new series um, about sexual purity, whether we're married or not married, sexual wholeness. And it's been exciting. We're all just learning together. It's been a bit sore for some, good for some, relieving for some, hard for some, and we're doing it together. So it's another time of family this morning. Um, we just have trust in the room. Anything's shared this morning, we just know that God's in it. There's no shame in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we talked about sin in general. Anyone remember? And we were talking about how the Lord has called us to a consecrated life. We, we read from Jeremiah chapter 1, if you want to flick there quickly. Uh, Jeremiah 1, 5, we were talking about how the Lord has called us. And with a calling comes a, there's three C words. With a calling comes a cost. There's often a cost to our lives. There's usually, there's always a cost that comes um, to the call. It says, it takes courage to say a big yes to Jesus. Yes, any of you um, felt the cost yet in your lives? And with that cost and that call comes consecration. Okay, when he calls us, he calls us to consecration. He calls us to be a life that's set apart for him, that's cleaned out for him, that's uh, kept for him, that lives according to how he designed us to live. Last week, I got out my manuals. I had the dishwasher manual and the microwave and the vacuum cleaner. And we know that different things are made for different purposes, yes? And us, his kids, are made for a lifestyle of holiness. And he calls us to come into a consecrated life. So this is why we feel that he's wanting to talk about uh, sexual sin at the moment, um, sexual purity, focus on the good. Um, so I'm just going to put up on the whiteboard what we talked about last week when it comes to sin in general. And remember, we talked about some of us when it comes to sin, we're not, we're not sure if it is sin and we're not sure if we can ever come out of it. And we did those four categories on the board. Whenever I turn to the board, I go, what's on the board, Miss Ford? I think I've said that to you before. Remember BBC watches here? Uh, British TV in Africa. All right. So, so we had sin. And I've said that sometimes we can fall into the four categories. The top one that I uh, was talking about last week is we can easily say um, it's not sin that I'm in because I have no conviction. And that is something that a lot of us can struggle with. I remember I gave you the example of me losing all my points in my driver's license a couple of years ago, all the way down to minus, um, and I had no conviction of my speeding. Okay, It took boundaries, it took other people putting those boundaries on me for me to learn 
my right foot needs a little bit of um, help uh, to lighten up. But just because we don't have conviction doesn't mean it's not sin. Okay? So we talked about that. I won't go over it. This is our human manual. Okay? If it says in the word to live like this, this is it. That's the manual for a human. It is sin if it's in here that it is sin. If we have to get anything in our lives through using sin, it is not a blessing even if it feels like a blessing, even if the sexual encounter feels like a blessing and it's with someone that you love or whatever. If we have to use something that the Lord says is sin to get something, then it's not a blessing. Is that okay? On the far right, we talked about uh, cheap grace. So we know it's sin, but the Lord Jesus died for that and he, you know, it's fine. The blood covers it. And I talked about how uh, grace doesn't cover it. Grace empowers us to walk out of it, okay? So he died on the cross so that grace can empower us to walk out of things we're stuck in. Grace doesn't cover, it uncovers and empowers, and it's by his grace that we come into holiness. Does that make sense? So we can cheapen grace. Okay, on the far left, we talked about how, um, yes, it's sin, but I can't get out of it, and Jesus understands. I've tried, a lot of us might have been here before. I've been here before in different areas, and it's a serious thing. I understand the journey, and for some of you, you're just praying all the time, and it's just an area maybe that you can't have breakthrough in any addictive area. And we can just feel like, well, I tried, Jesus understands, and I can't. And it comes down to grace again. It's an empowerment. We talked about that his blood is either enough or it's not. His blood is either enough or it's not. And it is enough. It's what he died for. There is no sin that he has to go, oh, yeah, I didn't die for that one. That's too strong. Okay, his blood is enough or it's not. So that can't be where we sit either. And then I said, if there's areas of sin in our life, my hope is that we're all sitting in the bottom category where we're saying, yep, I'm in sin. I need Jesus and the body of Christ. Okay, some of us really strive in these areas that we struggle with really striving, and we're doing a lot of effort, and then we can crumble because our efforts aren't getting us anywhere, and we can uh, get into performance orientation, doing it in our own strength. But if we bring these needs to Jesus, bring the confession to Jesus, and invite him into the process. So when it comes to uh, sin, the message today is not stop it. Stop it. Stop it. That is truth, and stop it is important. Okay, we need stop it, but stop it isn't enough. Otherwise, some of us would have stopped it already. Anyone hearing me? Stop it isn't enough. Uh, We need the grace that empowers us to walk out of it, and we need the body, the body of Christ. The Bible says that if we confess sins one to another, then we will be cleansed. It's a confession to the body. It's a confession one to another. If we walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with each other. Then the blood of Jesus comes in and cleanses us. Walking openly about these areas of our lives, walking openly about our marriages or about our singleness route or about gluttony or about shopping and buying and any other area, our alcohol problems. Walking in the light brings truth in, brings the light in, and we can start to receive that grace. But even then, we sometimes need the tools, which we've been teaching a lot in this church through Elijah House. We need some of the tools to find out why am I so hungry? So we're actually made with needs. We're born so needy. I was saying Jesus was just like us where he would have died at birth and one month, three months, if someone hadn't met all of his needs. We're born to need. Okay, We're born dependent 
and we have those needs met. And in our first few years of life, especially neural pathways are so many times built, we're learning, someone meets my needs. When I cry, someone comes, trust starts to build in our lives. Some of us may have pasts where basic trust hasn't been built in and those developmental years may have been skipped because we learnt lessons like no one does come when I cry or I'm just left because mom and dad, they're always outside, they're drinking or they're fighting or I have a five-year-old looking after me and we can shut down some of that basic trust. But the Lord's plan was that we would learn within our families that our needs get met. Are you with me? Okay. But for some of us, we can end up adults who we have sexual desire, and that is a good, good thing. That is a good thing. There's too much shame being put on that. It's an amazing thing. The Lord made us sexual beings as well as spiritual beings. He didn't just go, I'm making you spiritual, but I'll do that little 10% sexual over there so that I can continue to reproduce and have more Christians. Okay? It's actually both. They're both spiritual. Being sexual is spiritual. Okay? And the sex that is inside marriage is we'll do a whole Sunday on that, is a real example of the glory of the Lord and intimacy with the Lord and things like that. There is no shame on sex. And we are all given a sex drive. For some of us, it might be shut down. For some of us, it is lent on, overused, used as a false refuge to fill our needs. Either one is off kilter from what the Lord has and what the Lord has is freedom. And whether we're married or not married, we have to uh, manage our appetite. whether we're single or married, that sexual drive uh, demands stewardship. The Lord wants us to steward that gift, just like we are to steward our finances, just like we are to steward, you know, a household, a wise woman builds her household, we are to steward. If the wise woman builds a household, what does the man do? Build your woman. Isn't that good? Build the woman. Build her. Build her. Build her. So much life or death comes without that management. Stewardship is key, okay? And the Lord asks us to steward our sex drive, and it is a blessed and holy thing. Beautiful thing. Shame off. How are we going? Going okay? Good. Okay. So we're consecrated to the Lord. Also in Ephesians 1.4, it says something similar. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, holy and blameless, blame-free, sinless. I'm going to talk about defrauding. Um, I was involved in youth groups heaps. I was in youth group myself. And a common thing that a Christian young person or maybe an older person might ask is, how far can I go? How far can I go when it comes to sexual intimacy when I'm not married? Any of you ever heard that question or thought or wondered that question or looked through the scriptures? Yeah? Well, today we're going to talk a bit about fornication. So fornication is when uh, you, you have sexual intimacy with someone who you are not married with. Okay, so two people who are not married and they sleep together. And there is no scripture that makes it murky that it's okay. It is completely not okay before the Lord in the scripture from beginning to end. Never has been, never will be. It is sin. Okay? Whether there's conviction or not, it is sin. Um, If someone's married and they sleep with someone who is not their wife, theirs is called adultery, but the person who's not married, theirs is called, called fornication. Okay, so the, the act of fornication is, is sin. Are we okay with that? I don't feel I need to spend the entire session teaching on that. The fact is, that's what it says in the Word. Okay? So, um, 
when we ask the questions of how far can I go, I'm just wondering sometimes what the, at the heart of that is. I'm wondering what the heart of that is. Is it how far can I go before it's really, really bad or before it's sin or someone calls me up on it? Why? Why, why is that question asked? I used to ask that question myself. Because I'm wondering if virginity doesn't just have to do with the, the state our body is in. I'm wondering if there's a spirit of virginity. I'm wondering if virginity is actually a whole body, soul, and spirit looking at ourselves that we are honorable, that we're people of integrity, and that we're kept aside. That virginity thing, when it's used in the Bible, it's often used as a metaphor with, the, uh, with Israel, that it means you're set aside and consecrated. And to be set aside and consecrated comes, I think, with the spirit of virginity. You actually approach it with a... In my whole self, I'm keeping myself consecrated to the Lord, not just keeping myself from fully sleeping with someone until I'm married. Do you see how it's a bit of a difference? When you actually look at yourself and you go, I'm a daughter of a son of the Lord, and my brothers and sisters are in Christ, are daughters and sons of the Lord, and I am full of wonder. I'm wonderful. The Lord has made me. I have a plan and a purpose for my life, and I'm keeping myself because I belong to the Lord, and I'm set apart for his purposes. That, that takes it to a whole new level of intimacy. Where's the line? Does this make sense so far? And I think if we look at the scriptures which talk about how um, we are to see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, I wonder what it would look like if we started to think that unless I'm on a direct plan with this person to be married to them, they're my brother. And they're my sister and mother and father. And we know that there's things we don't do with our brothers and sisters, don't we? That it's not in the Lord's design. I'm not making a mockery of that. The the scripture actually says in the body of Christ we're brothers and sisters. And I'm I'm wondering if we approached each other and saw in each other the way that heaven sees each other, that you are a son of the Most High, you're a daughter of the Most High, you're precious, you're set apart, you're consecrated to him for a purpose, then I think we would put far more boundaries on ourselves before we even lay hands on somebody else. Does that make sense? And sometimes that comes down to lack of confidence in who we are, lack of identity. But I'm just wondering if there's a greater call than where is the line when it comes to intimacy with other people. I'm wondering if besides actually fully sleeping with someone who is not yours, I'm actually wondering about a whole other host of physical intimacy. I'm wondering whether it's actually part of our church culture and part of the body of Christ that we have our tongues down different people's mouths and throats. I'm actually wondering if that communicates you're a child of God, separated and consecrated and called with a purpose. Do you see that it doesn't actually... There's a passion that the Lord puts in us, and, he, and he, we're made passionate, and passion, he's passionate, but then there's lust. And lust and love are different. Love says, I'll give to you, and it'll cost me for your expense. Lust says... You'll give to me. It'll cost you, but it's for me. So love is my expense at your need. Lust is your expense for my need. It's a taking thing. It's a taking thing. And I think any time that we um, are having intimacy with each other, which is not um, brotherly and sisterly, does this sound getting religious? Is people like, oh my gosh, really? Is this Okay. I know we can, we can hold hands with brothers and sisters. We can hold hands with people that we, we love. But I'm wondering if there's a difference, a kingdom difference between courting and dating. 
even. doesn't matter what age we are. Maybe we're single in our 60s. Courting is a careful um, exploration with someone where you're looking and into, does the Lord have for us to, to be together? Have we got a purpose as one in the kingdom with him? And you're sharing your lives. You're starting to navigate that. You're looking at different categories of your life. You're becoming friends, best friends, seeing if you have a best friendship. And that, we don't have an objective opinion to, to assess that if we're doing a far more dating thing where the physical is involved. Does that make sense? Because all of these uh, chemicals, all of the parts of us that bond with each other, um, it blurs that. And I'm wondering if, so maybe, maybe one person, two person, you might date, get married. That's all right. Yeah, kissed her, but found, found my wife, found my husband, got married. But what if you're single for 10, 20 years? What if you're single again later? Then what if different people in the body of Christ, it's, well, I just want to know whether I'm going to marry someone. So, of course, we're going to you know, be, have passionate kissing and passionate holding and actually sexually arouse each other. I'm wondering if where the scripture says that if you sleep with someone who you're not married to, you defraud their future husband or wife. Yeah, so if you're not married to them, you sleep with them, they end up marrying someone else. That's defrauding someone else's glory. That's what the scripture says about it. Or if someone else sleeps with you before you get married and you marry someone else, they've defrauded your future partner of their glory. It's defrauding. The Old Testament actually says things like, if you do sleep with someone, you must marry them and marry them the rest, keep, stay married to them the rest of your life. Now, we know there's a difference. There's the law. So we're not putting law on people, and we don't want to make people marry into actually unhealthy relationships that could be very damaging. But that's how, that's how the Lord views it, though. It's really serious if we take someone else's glory. Is this making a sense? So I'm wondering if not only sleeping with someone else who's not your partner and they marry someone else is taking someone else's glory. I'm wondering if sexually arousing someone else who belongs to someone else is also taking someone's glory and defrauding someone. I'm wondering if sexually arousing someone who's not your husband or wife is defrauding someone's glory. How's that sitting? We're just setting culture in this area as a church. I've had to repent of that. I've had to repent of that. My high school years was a lot of dating. I was very flirtatious. And I know the needs that I was meeting, that I chose to meet during that season as well. But I knew. I knew how to be flirty. And I've had to repent to the Lord where I didn't sleep with anyone. But I still used that sexual arousement not only to fill my needs, but to fill someone else's. And those, that, those people are married to other people. That's defrauding. And I think it falls under the category of sexual sin. Passion is different. The Lord wants us to be on fire. He's made all of those feelings. We're going to talk about it in a moment, how he's wired not only our hearts but our brains for intimacy. I think it's a good thing. I think it belongs just in marriage. So I think it's good to give a kiss, to give a cuddle, to hold hands, to really explore relationally in a courting kind of way. But I'm wondering if using sexual arousal is something that crosses the line. And that's what I would like to suggest is where the line is. It's whether it's out of love and affection or whether it's sexual arousal. Is that okay? After I finished um, year 12 and went to Bible college, um, I just felt the Lord gave me such a total clean out in this area that I slipped into an inner vow, which we've been learning at Elijah House. I went all the extreme where I said I would never do that to God again. And I took it into my own hands to really 
you know, never be uh, sort of just using uh, physical intimacy in any way or relationships to fill a need. And um, I promised him that. So I knew he heard my heart, uh, but I had to renounce in the end when I learned. Taking things into our own hands, doing things in the flesh, it doesn't help. Anyone tried to steer their own or shut their own passions down or battles with lust with their own flesh. It doesn't, doesn't work. It's not helpful. And I gave that area over to the Lord, um, which was over 14 years ago, of a journey since, where I have courted at different stages along the way. But I can still say across the 14 years, there's just been absolutely no sexual arousal, no need. There's no need. A couple of friends, come on, just, just kiss him, just to figure it out. If it's, I just... I just don't know if that's fully necessary until you're on the road of actually feeling, no, I feel that the Lord has his hand on this and we're going to journey together. Is it okay for me to put that standard out there? <laughs> I just think it has its place, but it has its place in the right place, not its place just because it's someone that you're wondering about. Does that make sense? And I still have needs and the Lord still made me glorious and there's still sexual desire. I'm not asexual. I'm not shut down, but when you let the Lord come in and do a work and you hand that area over to him, he sets a standard in your life and you can no longer mess with that. Is that all right? So I'm wondering if the line is any area of sexual arousal. And that was my point I'd like to put out. How are we going? I went completely off my notes for the first 15, 20 minutes. I'm going to backtrack and find where I'm at. That just came out. I'm actually going to talk about our minds and how the Lord has made us to actually bond with our partners in the brain and why that's serious when it comes to fornication. I failed science at high school really badly and maths and physics and anything to do with higher order thinking. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I've got an E. (laughs) That's okay. <laughs> and French. I've got an E for French too. Wow. Okay, so, um, so I'm relearning in different ways. But I've been learning that there are more chemicals than I realized in the brain that have to do with bonding when it comes to marriages. How many of you have heard of dopamine before? Dopamine, that, that sort of thing. So that's the good feeling chemical that's released. Okay, so we've got our brains and there's neurons and electrical little messages that pass along our brains. This is sort of the year... Uh, six version, not the year 12 version. And there's synapses that are attached to those neurons and little neurochemicals that get carried along. Okay, so when we do something that causes a pleasure thing, like we can see there was a good reaction, someone hugged me from that, they loved that, I watched a good movie and I cried. How many of you are criers at movies? And uh, I wasn't suggesting I am, but um, so... (laughs) Um, you have that feel-good response. Uh, it can be uh, chocolate. It can be uh, physical intimacy. So sex is the big, one, the big, one of the biggest producers of all of the dopamine. So that dopamine is an addictive thing, okay? The Lord meant it to be used for good, and it makes us go back to where we got that thing from. Yes? So not only because of our unmet need in our hearts do we sometimes struggle to come out of addictions, but it's also because in, on a chemical level, we are actually attached and stuck to these things, okay? So it's not only our heart, it's not only unmet need, which I'll come back to briefly today and do a whole Sunday on. It's actually, like, chemically, we can become bonded to things. We're going to do a Sunday on um, masturbation, pornography, fantasy, voyeurism, and um, 
that's a huge one, the dopamine with, with pornography, all right? You're actually, you're actually addicted also because of a chemical thing going on. Then males and females have two different types of chemicals that go on, and this is provided for bonding to a mate. Isn't the Lord clever? Um, so there are animals that have this. There are animals that don't. The animals that stay together with a partner for life, they've got these chemicals. The animals that don't stay together, they just mate the, the guys off. Okay, the woman stays with the egg or they're just not start to be a life journey. They don't have this chemical. So it's actually, yes, for reproductive purposes that the male will stay so that a child would have a great chance of survival with parents that stay together uh, in a home. So yes, there's all those far more mechanical uses for it. But I know the Lord also turns, uses it to turn us back to our mate. So for a, a man, they've got vasopressin in their head, and a woman has oxytocin. So when a woman is in labor, lots of oxytocin is released. <laughs> yeah, all the women are like, woo! So oxytocin is released. Same um, with the breastfeeding stages. Every Lots and lots of oxytocin to, oxytocin to cause bonding. So the Lord's provided that chemical that even when things are hard and difficult, that bonding and that chemical and hormonal release overrides the situation. Make sense? Same with sexual intimacy. When a woman has sexual intimacy with a man, oxytocin is released big time. And it's a bonding agent. And that is why a woman can find it hard to walk away from the man that she has had intimacy with. It's not just because sex is meeting a need and the father issues and blah, blah, blah. She's actually designed to never leave that first, the, first, the person that she has encounters with. The woman's not designed to detach. And it actually causes havoc within us if we're doing this detachy thing. Have you ever seen sticky tape? Stick it, unstick it, stick it, unstick it. It becomes, loses its thing. We can really off-kilter our oxytocin, but a woman's designed. And that's why, besides a whole bunch of other reasons, a woman can stay in, a, in an abusive relationship even. It's a binding agent that just takes you back or that person's in your brain long time afterwards. Yes, there's soul, soul ties, uh, spiritual ties. We'll talk about those and how to cut them. But um, it's also oxytocin. You're designed to completely bind to whoever you have that intimacy with. For a man, it's vasopressin. Some people call it the... Is it monogamy thing? It takes you, keeps you taking you back to, you, to your wife. It takes you back to where you belong. That vasopressin takes you back to who you've bonded with so that you don't just bond here, there, and everywhere. It's very powerful. And the Lord designed us to have that in our system. We're designed to stay with the same mate, even on a cellular level. Isn't that amazing? That the Lord's actually provided something, that even in the fire of marriage, there's a bonding agent that's even in the brain that will keep us hedged in, focused on each other. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? How kind of him that he provides that little added extra. Uh, give me some boost juice for the difficult seasons. Um, causes havoc when um, we're then changing with multiple partners or when we want to unbind ourselves from that partner. Just a little scientific snippet in the spiritual heart journey that I'm talking about. Okay, so I just want to briefly look at some roots behind sexual sin, which often and easily can flow into sexual addiction. Just because we've had sexual sin in our lives, it doesn't mean that there is sexual addiction. See the difference? but sexual sin can become a sexual addiction. So there's a couple of areas that influence these. One is societal, and one is actually has a lot to do with our home life that we grew up in. Needs met, needs not met, and things that were happening there. Should we talk societal first? 
Is that all right? Okay, so how many of you know that we're in a society at the moment where there's lots of sexual images around? Yes? Even just have to walk through the shopping center, walk past the underwear store like this, look in magazines, on flights, in the things behind the seats, um, things jump up on apps, even some kids' apps at the moment. Things, pictures can just pop up. Google this, this ad comes up. More and more and more, our society has made it okay. Back in the 1950s, okay, society had much more of a moral code that came a lot closer to the Bible. Yeah. So it was a less visual world anyway, where it wasn't necessarily as technologically advanced as we are now. But a lot of society did not just let young people hang out everywhere, just in couples together in the back seat of the car, as much as it can just happen now. And it wasn't just people in the church that lived on this moral code. It was to keep your virginity was a big thing. To shame a girl that she wasn't on a virgin anymore was a real big bullying thing. Now, I'm at school talking with my year 12s, and to be teased because you're not a virgin. And you have shame because of these... Yeah, if you're not a virgin, no, if you are a virgin, you're shamed. And that had changed, and that's not many years later. So if you are a virgin, there's a lot more peer pressure. There's a heap of peer pressure at school. Parents, be advised. Be talking to your kids about the subject through and through. There's a heap of peer pressure. Lots of, um, especially amongst the men. You know, not a man if you've done that. Embarrassment. My year 12s are writing some journal reflections about who they are. That journey came through heaps in their writing and about how they're received at school because of that journey. Okay? Um, Peer pressure, everyone's doing it thing. There's an erosion of belief and the absoluteness of moral law. So this is an absolute. Cultures used to live in accordance to this absolute, but less and less our cultures do. Do you feel like most of Australia says now we are a Christian nation? Do you feel that they do? No, it's that there is no, no God, okay? And so that has a lot to do with our moral code because we only have a moral code if, we're, if there's a God that we are responding to, if we're designed, if we have a purpose, amen? There can be early stimulation, which can really make people battle with their sexuality. This is a, a, a difficult area for some to talk about because um, it wasn't their choice, but situations like parents um, being naked a lot at the home or um, showing affection too far um, in front of the kids, children left too old to sleep in parents' rooms um, where there smells of um, intimacy and that sort of stuff. There's early stimulation. There's being uh, sexual abuse comes into that whole area where you're aroused early and it wasn't your fault. Okay, so I understand that that can make things difficult when it comes to walking a road of sexual purity. Um, We can cover that, talk about all of that. No shame on that. But um, unfortunately, in the society we are today, there's TV shows on that are allowed to be on. There's movies that didn't used to be PG when it had that, and now it's PG. Yes? There's shows that are just PG. I should be able to show that to my year sevens, year eights, and the sexual jokes in it and the scenes in it. Uh, I never watched things like that at that age. So it's making sexual intimacy outside of marriage normal. Have any of you got a show on TV in your head that's make, that has sex outside of marriage normal? Yeah. Remember last week we just talked about what don't chew on those wrong things. We need to be a light that goes into the darkness, but we don't live in there. Okay, so that has made it normal. But um, a lot of times that we have a battle when it comes to sexual purity can be from our homes. 
not doing a blame the parent thing. Okay, we honor our parents in this church, biblical principle, but it does actually have a lot to do with how we were parented and what our connections are like with mom and dad. A lot of times in prayer ministry, when we're working through sexual purity issues, when we come to the root underneath that, for a lot of men, it has a lot to do with their issues with their mother. Not putting a blanket on all of it, but it does often have, whether especially if they've judged their mother or have a bitterness with their mother, it's often linked to pornography. There's a there's a defilement. There's a need to have control back, and there's a judging that can happen with the woman. A lot of the women, sometimes it can be just a like a rebellion against dad, and to just throw away their glory. I'm not putting a blanket on all of it. For a lot of women, it was that they weren't held a lot, had a lot of constant affection, told they're amazing, told they're beautiful, seen, spent time with them, nurtured. For a lot of men, they weren't held, told that their mom telling them, I respect you, I believe in you, you're wonderful. Um, there's just a lot of breakdown in that intimacy, and thus that need is unmet, a need we were designed to have. And we grow up with those needs being unmet, and we grow up with judgments against our mothers and our fathers. And that is a surefire area where we can get trapped in sexual, sexual sin. Okay? We're looking for something to fill a void or we have a bitterness with one of our parents and that's feeding into looking for it elsewhere. How are we going? Okay? I'm not putting blankets on people's stories. You find actually when we're journeying with someone who's been involved or stuck in sexual sin, every tiny case is different. Everyone's where this has come from is so different that I can't just say, this is what it is. This is where it's come from. Everyone's something is different. Someone that I'm friends with who ministers, um, she was ministering to a gentleman, finding out where his sexual sin problem was. But it came down to when he was 10 years old and um, dad worked away and mom had someone stay the night. She had never done that before. The mom never did that since. And his bedroom was right next to his mom's and he heard it all. And the 10-year-old, right there and then, without planning to and knowing what he was doing, made judgments about sex, its worth, its value, made judgments about women. And that outplayed his sexual problem later where he was just like, this is just an addiction, I don't love God enough, I should have, you know, be a stronger Christian. There's always a root behind fruit. We talk about that a lot. You put this seed in the ground, you get bananas. You get that seed in the ground, you get oranges. And when it comes to the fruit in our life, if there's an area of lust that we're battling with, I tell you there's a root. Yep. So we need to apply the blood. Yes. We need to stop it. Yes. But we need to find the root. And when we find the root cause, the unmet need or the judgments we've made about men or women or, or intimacy, some of us have made deep inner vows like, I don't need anyone. And that's because our needs weren't being met. No one was there. What's the only way to survive? I don't need anyone is a just decision we make, and it helps us survive. Later on, that outplays because you've got suppressed need on the inside, and there's no such thing as an unexpressed need. There's no such thing as an unexpressed need. It comes out somewhere, sideways, takes us out, all right? And we need to watch out for that, especially if we get married. We need to watch out for that if we get married, and we haven't dealt with some of the things that come before, um, from past encounters. I've gone way off my notes today. The different things I've looked at are just jumping into my head, so I apologize. feels a bit fractured.
I know we talk about John and Paula Sanford's stuff a lot in this church. He led Elijah House, but we've just found so much fruit in our lives from some of this. I'm just going to read a little section that John wrote um, about some of our upbringings and the way that we can turn um, to sexual intimacy. Is that all right? So there's a section on where the father is inattentive or abusive physically or emotionally. He can cripple her ability to know herself as a worthwhile person. And it's when we know we're worthwhile that we choose to remain consecrated and we move to, we come in line with what the Lord's hand is on our life. I'm going to talk about girls when it's with their mom. Girls know their womanhood by their mother's example as well. If a mother is someone worthy of emulation, her daughter is twice blessed. First, she is confirmed in the righteousness of becoming the feminine person she was created to be. Second, she has a role model to follow, which invites and encourages her womanhood. Her femininity then becomes sacred, something worthy of protecting. I have spoken with many Christian young women who fell to promiscuity or frigidity, so that's the opposite, where we shut down sexually, in reaction to what they saw their mothers becoming and the attendant feelings of revulsion. Promiscuity comes from exactly the same root as frigidity, inability to enter into true intimacy and corporateness. Promiscuity is inability to enter into true intimacy and corporateness. Both promiscuity and frigidity arise in women in that they can't be vulnerable because they can't believe anyone could see and cherish who and what they really are. In actual fact, a woman is a lovely breath of God expressed through a desirable body and personality, but she thinks she is a mess because her mother's example taught her that lie. Promiscuity never prepares a girl to become a better lover for her husband. It always disequips. I have counseled hundreds of young people who have brought Satan, bought Satan's lie that premarital sexual experience would prepare them to be better lovers when married. Intercourse before marriage with others or with intended spouses always results in a damaged capacity to cherish one another in holiness. There's actually impacts on our marriages if we've been elsewhere before that. And church, you know we've been talking about we need to just clean out things that have their doors open. We've been talking about the occult and sexual sin where the Lord is moving us forward and we need to go, where is there gaps in my past? Yeah, where is there gaps in my past? That comes also with our marriages. If we're in marriages and there's open doors from our past before we're married, even if it's with that one person, that's a kink in our armor. That's an open door. And that'll come back at a later stage. So my encouragement is not only to look at the now when it comes to our sexual purity, but all the way back. 11 years old, 15 years old, 19 years old, 22 years old, how clean is that area? Not only have we repented of those things and confessed of those things, all those things need to be confessed, even if we're living completely different lives, even if we were not Christian then and we are Christian now, it needs to be confessed, repented of. We get forgiven by the Lord. We need to forgive others who took our glory or we took theirs. But I encourage you not only that, but to have a look at why we went there. Why did we go and feed there? What was the unmet need? Because if we don't actually do that excavation with the Lord, that was still in play even if we are now married. Does that make sense? And there's a lot of marriages where the sexual intimacy is defiled. 
and there's a problem when it comes to premarital sex. The Sanfords say that often when they're counselling a couple and their problem is a sexual problem, very quickly they figured out it'll be because one or both partners has open doors from the past still. That's a huge play that comes in. And we need to look at what was my need or my judgments on men or women or about sex because it, it catches up with us later. So we need to look at our appetite, not only at the sin that we committed. Does that make sense? Because not, it's not just about the sin we committed. It's about the appetite behind it. It's about the root. Is that all right? So as we continue to journey through this, we would like to teach you how to help people who are stuck in sin. We want to teach about soul ties and sexual, um, physical Soul ties and spiritual ties. So when we connect with someone, yes, the oxytocin, but there's, already a be- there's also a becoming one. You know that? The two become one, Genesis. That happens with whoever that we have encounters with. So we're going to teach you on that. We're going to teach you how to break those soul ties if you're no longer with that person. Um, but but it's, it's more than that. It's the healing. Okay? Healing of the places that we have been to in our past lives. The, those doors need to be shut. Um, if we're going to move together as a little army a big army, um, into the promotion that's coming. Does that make sense? We need a clean out. The Lord's calling us to that clean out, not only the confession and the repentance, but why did I go there? Use it as a key to have that thing healed and turn over, and it'll probably not keep agitating. The ache otherwise comes back. Okay, I feel like that was a whole jumbled bunch of but um, we're going to pray.